Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, your premium North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby, one fan at a time. All right, welcome everybody to episode 117 of the Rugby Rant. I'm Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and today I'm flying solo, at least in the initial part of the Rugby Rant episode 117. Um, my partners in crime, Ty Baraga, Scott Ferrar, could not be with me today. They had to tend to some matters on the home front. That's okay. I'm flying solo, and I don't mind doing so because I have a great set of guests coming up. I'll talk about them in a moment. But before I do, I want to hit around the pitch. All right. So what do we got around the pitch? I want to talk about two things. Number one, first and foremost, uh, last week I talked about the NCR women's finals where there was new champions crowned down in Houston at Aviva stadium. This week, it was time for the men to shine and shine. They did. We had D one Brown university defeating Queens 21 to five. We had D one double a Virginia tech defeating uh, Louisville 24 to 22. Sorry, Emil, good friend of mine. You've taken that program to great heights. Um, it would have been great to see on top. Um, then we get down to Division Two Principia Thunder Chickens. I love saying Thunder Chickens. Um, defeating IUP, that would be Indiana University at Penn, um, 47 to 16. And the small college champion Humboldt defeated Wayne State 20 to 15. So that's my first around the pitch segment. And then we get to my second. I want to take a moment to pause and reflect upon the great career of Katherine Johnson. Uh, she is stepping down from international play. In case you don't know, Katherine Johnson was University of Women's, uh, sorry, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee Panther women's player. She played for USA Rugby Sevens, 2016 Olympian. They placed fifth in Rio. Uh, 2015 Pan American Games silver medalist. She played for the PR Sevens, specifically for the headliners. And she, of course, played in the four games that uh, the women went to New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup 2022 this last fall. And she said that she feels she's unable to leave the jersey in a better place while wearing it. So she felt it was better that she step away. We respect that decision. Doesn't mean we're no less disappointed because I just loved as a fellow number seven watching her play. And so it's with great sadness that she's that, you know, we see her step away, but she's doing great things. And I think most important thing that she's doing off the pitch is she is a Minneapolis firefighter. And I think that she did that while still finding time to train, prepare, and even get time away in order to be ready to play in the World Cup is something that needs to be celebrated and respected and honored. What a wonderful, wonderful career. Legendary status. Much love to Katherine Johnson. And stick around after we hear from our sponsors because we're going to hear from Katherine Johnson. Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans 
and it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Brewster and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant podcast show. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark bale-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. Welcome, rugby fans, to the Rugby Rant, episode 117. We've been at it for almost three years, and it's myself, Ty Braga, and my other partner, Scott Farrar. Unfortunately, neither of them could join today. Scott is sick, and I think it's kind of a bug going around the country as we go into a deep freeze in the northern latitudes, and I know the two guests that are joining me tonight are familiar with deep freezes from northern latitudes. Um, and and Ty is unfortunately having to tend to some family matters in South Africa, so he is away. And therefore, I'm flying by myself. But you know what? I called in some reinforcements, and quite frankly, I think these two reinforcements um, are couldn't be better suited to our topic today. And as I told them off camera, I am absolutely and completely humbled that on short notice, both of them were willing to join the show because uh, folks, if you don't know, you need to know these will go down as two legends of the game. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I'm serious. Absolute legends of the game. Um, it just, uh, they do great things on the pitch and they're doing greater things off the pitch in their own rights. And um, it's women like them that need to be celebrated and elevated to, you know, to, uh, be known around the United States and especially in rugby circles. So I'm going to introduce each one of them individually. I'm going to start with Alicia Washington. If you don't know her, you need to. Um, this is a this is a lady who I'm starting to put together a CV, and I'm just going. Could anybody do more for rugby uh, in the United States than Alicia? And um, of course, from you know, we talked about Northern Latitudes from. Uh, the New Haven area in Connecticut. So she's familiar with deep freezes and, and rugby and challenging conditions. Um, you know, she played with the, the Scion Sirens, the uh, Hartford Wild Roses, played, of course, with Nyack and uh, the New York Rugby Club. Uh, Scott will be extremely jealous, Alicia, because Scott is a diehard Rooney fan. There um, you go. <laughs> she, U.S. Eagle in her own right, 22 caps. Um, you know, coaching in all sorts of circles from Yale's women's to the Simsbury girls rugby. She was involved uh, as a youth in USA U20s as a player and All-American herself, played in a 2017 World Cup. And I got to tell you, probably the thing that I like the most, co-founder of the XV Foundation, so critical, and I'm sure KJ could probably uh, talk about that. Um, but Alicia, first of all, for you, welcome so much for joining the Rugby Rant tonight. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. This should be fun. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get involved. And it should be noted, by the way, that she is actually in the UK. She's currently playing for the Sail Sharks. And so 
you know, again, late notice, but she said, you know what, hell with it. I got something to say. I'm going to say it and I'm going to do it no matter what time it is. <laughs> so, so we are. And, and then my next guest, I got to admit, um, I, I have a huge rugby crush on KJ because uh, she's a, she's a flank uh, just like I was. She loves to get out there and good. Her nose dirty. She loves to hit. She runs all over the pitch. It was tremendous fun watching her play uh, in what was deemed the 2021 Rugby World Cup. It was obviously played just uh, this October. Um, and so Hopkins, Minnesota, um, played at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I love that. I'm, I'm in Chicago, so I'm, I feel like I can <laughs> You know, um, so she's a Panther. And... Um, 2016 Olympian in sevens, uh, fifth place, a 2015 Pan Am Games silver medalist, uh, USA Rugby 15s, um, 2022 Rugby World Cup, uh, founded a, a sevens program, the Young Bloods. I think you played a little PR sevens, uh, if I'm not mistaken, with the headliners. I Is did. That... Headliners all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that this last summer or the summer prior? Uh, summer prior. We had okay. to keep this one for the World Cup. Yep. Yep. Okay, understood. Um, and uh, she, again, like Alicia with the XV Foundation, the thing that I'm so uh, amazed by is, you know, I, I we have on we had Gavin, Gabby Contorna. I like keep Wonder Woman keeps you know flashing across my brain when I have uh, ladies like yourself on because KJ is a Minneapolis firefighter, um, and can't say enough about uh, the commitment that somebody like KJ makes to her community as a firefighter so incredibly humbled uh and now is working with the wpl she'll get a chance to talk about that here in a little bit but nevertheless i saved kj for for a second because she has just announced that she's hanging up her boots from international rugby so i wanted to um you know thank her for all that she's done in that regard but kj welcome to the show thank you so much i really appreciate the intro my pleasure. Again, absolutely humbled that I have two such wonderful guests, legends of the game. 10, 20 years down the road, um, we're going to look back uh, at, at these two ladies and we're going to say they paved the way for what rugby in the United States has become. So completely humbled. Um, but let's start our conversation. Uh, so um, we're going to get right into the ramp here in just a moment. This bowl represents the game we love a game fueled by passion but there are those who wear no number nor are they in the locker room or the field of play but they are there for every high and every low yes they are watching every kick tackle and try score. Yes, they are there for when you need them most because they are the Major League Rugby fans. And the time has come for you to stand with your team. Join us at shopmlr.com today. We have a pretty important topic of conversation, which is why I had reached out to these two ladies at the behest, by the way, of Ashley Bird. She put you guys at the top of the list. I, I, Ashley's come on the show before and she said, you know, um, 
I, I'm going to have to beg off of this one for her own reasons. Uh, but I think the two that you need to reach out to are KJ and Alicia. And I'm like, oh boy, uh, I don't, they don't even know who I am. Why would they come on the show? And it worked out. And again, I, I thank them both. But let's get to the topic of conversation. This week, to give it some context, folks, some real important news for USA Rugby. And that is, uh, number one, Gary Gold resigned on the men's side of things. Rob Kane, it was determined uh, in a release by USA Rugby, um, his automatic renewal of his um, status as head coach uh, is not guaranteed. Um, and that leads to the, the kind of third point there, and that is the USA Rugby Board of Governors has just announced that they're going to do a in a high performance review. And so Rob Kane's job, in essence, it sounds like from based upon the report from USA Rugby, will depend upon the results of that review. Um, so given that, the topic of conversation that we're going to start with, and there's three built, real big questions here, but one of them is essentially, you know, the stepping down of Gary Gold, the, you know, questions about Rob Kane's future, was this necessary step given the results from the men's side failure to qualify and for the women's? I think what, what the board of governors said, um, it, you know, uh, they didn't reach their goal in rugby world cup 2021 or played obviously in 2022, they didn't reach your goal. So I'm going to start around the table and I'm going to go around to what is my left actually, and go to Alicia and just start with you to give me some perspective on, on, on that part of the question. Like, was this part necessary, almost a cleaning of house, if you will, in order to kind of move forward as we look at the horizon to, uh, you know, a short turnaround for Women's World Cup in 2020, uh, what is it, 2026, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or 2020, yeah. sorry, no, 2025, 2025, yeah. yep, the, the whole COVID numbers. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, the failure to qualify and then looking at 2027 on the men's side. So what are your thoughts, Alicia? I have so many thoughts. Um, I think I have to start with, I think it's really easy to look at the head coaches and, you know, point a finger and say, you know, you didn't do your job, you didn't, yada, yada. Um, but I also think the whole union needs to take a look at themselves. Because right now, we're in a place where we're on the women's side, one of the only unions in the top six, seven that don't have full contracts. Like we are all very amateur players that essentially are, you know, paying to support this rugby habit that we have. That's really unfair to the players. So I think the infrastructure needs to improve. Um, I think the players are doing their best. There are uh, 20 plus of us here in the UK trying to make ourselves better, make the team better with our involvement. Um, and I don't think that's good enough. I think the union needs to support us. And whether that's a head coach to come in and turn things around um, or more commercial partners, I just, you know, I just really don't think that clearing out the head coaches is the answer to all of the problems. And I think it's unfortunate that to some level, um, that they've received the brunt of that, but the whole union from the top, way top, all the way down needs to have a really strong look at themselves and you know hold themselves accountable for what they're putting their athletes through. 
So I'm just going to ask a, a question or two here of Alicia before I move around to KJ and get her thoughts on this question. Um, and one of them, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, that that sounding board, right, of of somebody that maybe isn't as familiar with the programs and say, well, you know, Canada was kind of in the same position just over about two years ago. Um, you know, they're, they have uh, a smattering of, of ladies that are competing in the Prem and are full-time, um, you know, athletes that have, you know, strength and conditioning and, and uh, training, you know, a, sorry, a, a nutrition table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're well-supported and well-funded. Um, but, you know, one would argue that they perform incredibly well, right? So how would you, you know, what would we say to those those critics, those people that say, well, you know, you know, it's almost like you got to do more with less, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, so the when you say like we're on like other Canadians are on full time contracts, I don't believe any of them are on full time contracts from their union. And when you look at a female athlete in the in the premiership here in the UK, full time is not like we're not living off of we're not we're not saving you know, like right. our contracts are not in the <clears throat> hundreds or even like tens of thousands. It's like, you know, it's, it's enough to maybe pay for your, most of your food and hope, hopefully you have a savings that you can fall back on. That's what we're, what we're talking about. We talk about contracts over here on the woman's side. Um, I think Canada has done a really great job of building their pathways and starting their players younger. Um, I would probably say the average age for, when a lot of Eagles on the women's side started playing like university KJ, I think like university level, like I started playing when I was 17, about to turn 18. I think they have probably developed, yeah, their youth pathways, their identification pathways a lot better. And I just think like USA rugby has just so many hurdles to enter, you know, it's such an accessible sport. If you let it be, and I don't think we've put in the work to make it accessible. You know, when you look at the team and you see that, like, none of the statistics from the team reflect the overall statistics of America in terms of diversity, socioeconomic status, um, college educated or not. And it doesn't reflect the U.S. You just know that it's a sport made for those who picked it up in college. And we just have so many barriers for finding the best athletes that, if there's no resources, no support, it's kind of hard to get into. You have to go to, to some, uh, you know, not niche universities, but like, you know, you have to go to a university to, to really find your way in the game. It, it, there's no wonder why we don't have a leg up on other countries. And, you know, America's a sporting nation. I just don't think we have the infrastructure to support rugby in a way that will get us onto a podium. We're almost uh, at a disadvantage. Our, our women are in a sense, I don't want to say disadvantage. <laughs> Title IX is almost working against us at this point now. Like it worked really, I mean, we were World Cup winners in what, 91? Yes. And it, it played in our favor, right? Um, but as you said, there's a lot of niche universities, you know, Lindenwoods, the Lifes, the, you know, um, the Yales, for example. <laughs> they have a lot more accelerated programs, but the chasm that exists, the Penn State, but the chasm that exists between those and some of the other programs are, are significant. So I'm going to turn the attention to KJ. She's been very quiet, but I'm sure she has her own thoughts and her own rights. So uh, again, 
to kind of hit upon the question, was this, you know, this almost, um, you know, uh, peeling away of the old and, and, and kind of ripping the bandaid off, was that necessary uh, at the coaching level in order to move forward and, and find a way forward as we start to look beyond uh, to the next two world cups? I mean, I'm not 100% sure, you know, hindsight's beautiful. So I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. Um, but I do think that we need to start like having more oversight on our higher ups in USA rugby in general. Um, Alicia said it beautifully. Like we, it's really easy to put the blame on the coaches. You know, it's the person right above that is implementing all of these ideas. Um, but yeah, it comes down to if our players aren't taken care of, if our staff isn't taken care of, if we can't play year round, if we can't have stability, financial stability, or um, like even just insurance, like you need to have a primary insurance before you can use USA Rugby as your secondary if you're a USA player. And that's so insane. Like, I, as a player that didn't have primary insurance for a while, it was very, very tough, especially trying to try out for the sevens program. And luckily going into the program, it was different with sevens. Um, they had a lot more support and a lot more resources. Um, but then coming out of sevens and playing fifteens, it was just like a smack in the face of like, we're still here. You know, <laughs> like we haven't really gained much like momentum or, force as like player welfare goes or a player voice like we have no say in what the coaching staff or like who's going to come in if it's going to continue to be Rob or if it's going to be someone else or if that's even a decision that we think should be made like we have a players association that doesn't even have a voice <laughs> so as one of the player representatives it's frustrating because we have all of these frustrations coming from something even as amazing as a world cup and no one even knows about it because our communication pathways are so horrible in usa rugby that it comes down to how do we get transparency so that we can fix some of these issues so that was very round about answer to say i'm unsure <laughs> well i think I think what's clear is, you know, you both agree that we can't just point the finger in one spot. Like it's, that's an easy thing to do, but in reality, I think it's craziness to say that, 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 that it's the, you know, the singular reason why, you know, our, our programs are not meeting <laughs> the expectations that we have for them, um, that it's much deeper than that. Right. And it's, it's funny because a lot of fans, you know, talked about, for example, on the men's side, Oh, you know, uh, the way we play, the structure, we're kicking too much. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. It comes down, down to Gary Gold's structure. It's like, you know, I, I had a conversation with Cam Cam Dolan. And he's like, dude, it, it comes down to the inability for us to have consistent, you know, ability to train together and to develop continuity and do all those things. You know, and it's almost like a World Cup cycle needs to happen for the women to get together. And I think you guys got together for a training camp in January. And then again, in August, you began to play some internationals that ran up to the World Cup, if I'm not mistaken, KJ. Mm -hmm. uh, Alicia was actually part of most of it. And I was not a part of the end of it or because I got COVID at the end there. And um, 
I did not experience that. But uh, in the beginning of the year, they we did have some camps. Did we have international play in the beginning of the year, Alicia? Uh, we had we played against Wales in sort of like a. I don't know, it was more than a scrimmage, but not a test match. So, okay. um, but that was in April. But yeah, okay. we, uh, before that, we were together in autumns last November. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely better, you know, and being a World Cup year, I think if that's the least we can do. Um, thinking about the support outside of that, like thinking about coming into a camp, we're still coming off of like, like for myself, I can speak for myself, but as a firefighter, I work 48 hour shifts. And so it depends on where I'm working, but sometimes you don't get a really good workout in and you can't lift heavy because if you get a fire that night, you can't have jello legs or, you know, there's so many things you have to think about and nutrition is not the best in the fire stations and all these different factors that and I try to work as many shifts as I can so that I can get that time off to go train with my team. And so then when I get to camp, I haven't touched a rugby ball in a long time because no one is passing with me at home because they're all either playing somewhere else or there's no, there's no opportunities. It's, it's just, we don't have the resources outside of these camps to have a smooth transit transition you know, the transitions is the hardest spot. Like you come into a camp and the first week is just getting your feet underneath you and like getting their ball skills back, like knocking off the rust, like getting to know your teammates because they change all the time. Like it's never consistent and it's not, it's not uh, fair. I don't think it's fair for people of all different backgrounds to come in and be ready to go. Yeah. Again, uh, this is why we have women of, of the level that I've that we've invited on here in the rant of, of Alicia and KJ to join us because they can provide those uh, incredibly important perspectives. Um, it, it was mentioned, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And what's interesting is we look on the other side of the pond. Eddie Jones is sacked. Uh, Wayne Peebeck from Wales is sacked. So it's not exclusive to the United States. But again, I think people who are familiar with the internal workings would recognize it again, to Alicia's point, it's not just about one person, it's about systemic change. So let's let's kind of transition to the way forward. Um, and, and again, I'll circle to Alicia and then to KJ. Um, so what's happened then on the uh, in, in and amongst the, the events happening around the two coaches is the USA Rugby Board, as I mentioned before, has announced and initiated a full and comprehensive review of its high-performance programs. And we're talking about, just so people are clear, men's and women's uh, 15s and men's and women's 7s. And both the men's and women's 7s just, I think, uh, secured bronze medals recently, so uh, doing very well. Um, but nevertheless, this is coming. And um, so people understand, uh, and I'll just quickly summarize, uh, three basic areas of, of concern. Strategy for development of world-class teams, and again, in the four areas, um, what organizational uh, structures are needed, um, you know, and, and how will that be reflected uh, in the play on the pitch? And then what is the culture and how is it um, being expressed um, by the staff? So um, let's talk about the high performance review is are, are these questions the right questions? is this review setting off on the right foot in order to move forward and bring us to the standard that we'd expect? 
So I'll start with you, Alicia. What are your thoughts on, on that? I think some of the right questions are in there. I also <laughs> think we need to ask ourselves how we can take models from other countries that are working and functioning and leverage the resources that we have to make a great product. Um, when we talk about like the WPL, it is a great league, extremely marketable. Um, and in all, you know, a lot of major cities within the US, and I don't think we're leveraging it to the way that uh, the RFU is using the Prem to build their players, um, create minimum standards. And obviously, you know, America is not the UK, but I think it we could take a lot of things from that. So I think we, we do need to ask ourselves how we can model after other places that, that are have working products. Um, but yeah, I do think there is, you know, a massive culture aspect. I think it is really hard when so many of our head coaches with, are within USA Rugby are not from the US and don't necessarily, it, it, there is, it does take a little bit of time to learn the the lay of the land like how you know where are the players that you're looking for how do different clubs play who are the coaches who are the refs um those are things that you know like i've been within i've been playing rugby for going into my, my 14 15 season and these are still things i'm learning about the u.s all the time and when you expect someone to come in that has never has known nothing about the landscape in the U.S. and to make the best of it. I think that's a really tough ask. So we do need to ask ourselves: Is there talent within the U.S. that knows the landscape, knows the players, has trust and reputation that can come in and turn some of our programs around? And obviously, the head coaches, both the women's and men's 15s, are both uh, foreign-born. Uh, let's just say that they're not from the United States uh, originally. Um, and I and I want to distinguish for fans when I say that there are many foreign-born coaches here that have been invested tremendously in the American rugby community that have been here for a long time. I could go on and on about the names, and I but I, I won't. But there are. Um, so let me clarify when I ask this question as a follow-up, Alicia, and then I'll move to KJ. <clears throat> um, do we need to look at U.S. coaches when I say U.S. coaches, people that have invested in the U.S. rugby community, as you say, people that know the American rugby um, culture and understand it and therefore have a better vision to how to, you know, structure the men's and women's programs moving into the next, um, you know, four to seven years. Yeah. I think it's a truly untapped resource. Um, there's plenty of male, female coaches. Like, you know, I'm not just saying like, we need to have an American born female coach. Like that's definitely not what I'm saying. I think we need to have the best coach. I think with the tight turnaround for the next cycle, we need someone that's ready to hit the ground running and has an idea of the lay of the land in the U S um, and has already has that buy-in because it does, it takes a while to create a strong reputation. And I don't think we necessarily have the time before the next world cup to show better without an individual that is ready to, you know, that has that knowledge and is ready to apply it, you know, pretty much ASAP. So. Right. Exactly. So again, you know, circling to KJ, giving an opportunity to kind of adjust the same questions. Um, and I can certainly repeat the three kind of core questions that they have, but 
are they asking the right questions and 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 are is is this the best way forward in order to prepare for the two next big major events in 15s that we're always on the lookout for in the cycle uh the men's and women's rugby world cup yeah i mean i mean i, I always this is amazing because i love that alicia's here this is awesome we see eye to eye on a lot of things um just what she's talking about with knowing the lay of the land like simple things like how big the United States is and how spread out we are is such a factor. Like these flights are no joke just so that we can get together and have a practice. So yeah, I really think it is important that coaches understand and are invested. Um, I think that's a big part and try not to put us in a box. I think the U S is a very different kind of rugby and it's going to have to Whoever takes the role or keeps the role is going to have to adapt to the players. We have so many special players that are being like contained because we can't, we aren't put in the right positions to really do our jobs proper, in my opinion. Um, but then just like developing pathways, that's huge. Um like Alicia was saying with the colleges, like there's some awesome programs that provide a lot of stuff and they get way more than our women's league coming out of it, right? So when you are a varsity rugby player and you get you have a facility for weight training, you have a pitch, a grass pitch, nice one, and then you have all of these, you're, it's so accessible. And then you come to the WPL and you're paying three to five grand to play in the women's league. And everyone else gets this they want to reinvent the wheel right so if we're not we're all on different pages trying to fix one issue and if we can all just get on the same page within usa rugby and within these programs that are trying to build and align a proper pathway within everything that's already going on i think it's going to be super successful but instead we're like we're veering off in so many different directions and everyone has an opinion which is valid and everyone has like a great perspective and we need to listen to it so that we can pick the right path, but we need to pick the right path together. Awesome. So I'm going to throw kind of two questions here um, and, and feel free chime in. Let's have a conversation a little bit because you, you both have brought up some really critical points. Um, one of them has to do with the geography, but I think as a kind of component of that is seasonality. Right. A, a lot of foreign coaches, when they just come to the United States and they don't spend time here full time, they don't understand the geography and they don't understand the seasonality. So given that, should one of the components in there in analyzing um, the high performance programs, should one of them been a, a particular look at streamlining the calendar and giving more attention to the seasonality component at all levels, be it, you know, college, uh, men's and women's club levels. Uh, and then, you know, uh, of course, at the professional level um, with the, you know, um, with the MLR and also with the highest level here domestically, the WPL on the women's side. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Cause Minnesota, I hate the snow. If there's frost <laughs> on the grass, I'm, I'm not playing. <laughs> no, I, I definitely think it's a huge issue we need to talk about. And I think the scheduling has to come into it. I also think it's very doable to 
have a game down south in tougher times. You know, like it comes down to making things equitable for teams that are in tougher areas and giving them more support so that we can get indoor facilities for earlier in the years or later in the years so we can start training just at the same time as everyone else. I think that would be massive. Yeah, KJ here, I definitely hear and agree, like coming from Connecticut, like I'm not tackling into the snow, right? But I think it's important that we can't ask any more of the players in WPL or college or whatever it is club until they have more resources. Like there is no way, like another reason I think the U.S. isn't getting the results that we want is because we don't have the amount of game minutes as like England, France um, do, or New Zealand. And, but how can you ask more of them without giving them more resources? Like here in the Prem, I'm, you know, if I play in a few cup games, I might get 20 quality games outside of international. And that is a lot, a lot of games, a lot of minutes. And there's nothing like you can, you can train all you want, but nothing replaces game minutes, right? And we saw that we were in camp, I think, for 11 weeks in 2021 before Autumns. Um, and we went 0-4 because nothing replaces game minutes, even though we were together for so long. Um, and But I, like, I just can't imagine asking any more of WPL players. Like, you're going to tell them, we, okay, we're going to double your games to match the Prem and maybe play in the warmer places in the winter but oh wait you're still paying for your flights you're still paying for your medical right. you're still but having to take off of work exactly but that's the whole point of changing this league and changing this momentum if we can all get on the same page we can start marketing it properly we can start getting bigger sponsors league-wide instead of just individually as teams like the opportunities become bigger if we band together and so it's really exciting like you're absolutely right like we don't want to ask any more of anyone. And it's like, how can we play it smarter? We're not going to schedule games on holiday weekends where you're going to have to fly to LA or to Atlanta, San Francisco, like these places during, like, it's just not reasonable, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you're 100% right. And it's definitely an issue we need to focus on. Has, so has USA Rugby fallen short in putting an emphasis on marketing, commercializing, this sport in order to fund and provide the resources that both of you have been talking about is so critical to the growth of the game. I mean, I does USA well. rugby have commercial partners right now? <laughs> yeah. I well, think I think so. that's part of the question, isn't it? I mean, they really, they, I think that answers the question. They, yeah. They don't really have commercial partners and, and it seems to me a need them in order to do all the things, yes. the resources <laughs> to do all the things that you, that you both have talked so much about. Yes. I mean, I think I, I am lucky enough that like rugby has given me a lot of opportunities, right? And one of them is having worked uh, club sports in grad school where I got my master's in sport management. But I don't think I need that degree to say, yes, you need <laughs> commercial partners <laughs> to be successful. Because I mean, if you know your SIP money isn't going towards high performance, what is going towards high performance is commercial partnerships and world rugby grants and if we're not qualifying for world cups we're not getting world rugby right. grants right. and if we can't market to commercial partners we're not getting their resources either and so like how do you it's like it, it's you know like chicken or the egg, like, chicken do, the you egg. Have, 
like, do you have a product to market? Do you have a budget to market? Do you have money to make a budget to market? You know, <laughs> like. So, so I guess I'd ask this. I mean, is uh, like obviously rugby's a. I don't want to say it's a niche sport. I mean, it's certainly, you know, one that's, that uh, there's room for growth and it's um, I don't think it's widely known by the American, uh, by the American sporting community, but has USA rugby failed in that regard or is it just so dang hard to get commercial partnerships that work and pair well with rugby? It is hard. I mean, coming from like an XV standpoint, I definitely know how hard it is to get commercial partners. It really comes down to pretty much one decision, like one decision maker at the top that either has to like rugby or have a connection to rugby. Okay. And that's not easy. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that there's a lack of effort. I just know that you need to have the like right people in place that have that already have pre-existing connections that like, you know, are able to market the sport. And I don't, um, from my conversations with individuals uh, previously involved in USA rugby, the way they tried to market rugby to me, I wouldn't have bought it, you know? And I, you know, I think they've, they've gotten new people in a market, a new marketing firm in, but high performance can't survive on what we have right now. It's just not sustainable. And I, I think everyone within the union would agree to that. It, it's 1000% not sustainable. So, I mean, I think a lot of that will need to come from showing how marketable WPL is, showing how marketable MLR is, and then using those partnerships to leverage connections for the whole union. But that's my humble and, opinion. And from like a non-professional side of it, it's just like a player, not having our schedules out early like selling tickets to our home games the same month if not a week or two before we play is just not not a good idea like even I know that and we can definitely get more butts in the seats the sooner people know about it like buying a flight is so much easier a few months in advance and that's a big issue well it's it's kind of interesting you you talk about that KJ because I think back to the summer where you know, here are our men's on the men's side of things. They're playing in July and there's two big, you know, qualify, qualifying events happening. And um, yet at the same time, um, there's PR sevens that are going on on the exact same weekend. And now, you know, what is a small community by American sports land uh, standards uh, is um, we're dividing that community even further amongst, you know, a variety of rugby events. And so I kind of go back to streamlining the calendar of like, boy, if we had a streamlined calendar and everybody was playing by this calendar and everybody kind of knew when things were supposed to happen and what frameworks and what windows, um, boy, that could go a long way to helping and grow and develop those partnerships because we would know what that calendar looks like for players that are involved and also provide those, um, you know, that calendar for as a marketing opportunity, as a marketing tool to help promote the sport, promote the game with, you know, advertisers with, you know, broadcasters, et cetera, et cetera. I agree. There is, there is some that we can control on that for sure. I do know that there is a lot of weight on world rugby too. Like they have to make a lot of decisions before we can make decisions. So I know that we wait a little bit on world rugby as well. So that might be part of it, but I 100% agree. We can do a much better job with aligning our schedules. 
Yeah, so uh, that leads me to the last question. You guys have been so great, so gracious, so honest, so open and transparent, and perhaps that's what we need more of in our rugby community so everybody knows what's going on, why it's going on, and how it's happening, um, and where the money is going, perhaps, um, is another piece. <laughs> um, that would be nice. There is no money, so don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, cut that out. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, no, but to, the, to the point, I think that's one of the issues in college. I mean, one of the reasons why there's a split in college rugby is you have NCR, the pro and said, hey, we, we have some issues. We don't know where, you know, are we really maximizing our value that we're getting out of our SIP dues? And so it's an issue that came up. Now, whether that's fair or unfair, it's not for this particular conversation. I just know that it, it is a question that's come up. But moving forward, let me just, you know, ask one last piece as we begin to close this out. Um, like high, let's say the high performance review goes through, they've done a top-down um, assessment. Um, you know, from your perspective as, you know, you know players who, who are essentially currently playing, you know, Alicia obviously playing in Europe, having been involved in the buildup to Rugby World Cup, KJ having just come off that World Cup um, campaign. Um, what's one thing that if you could wave your magic wand that you would say you need to change this? And they had to listen to you. So I'm going to go, I started with Alicia each time, but I'm going to, I'm going to circle and go to KJ first and come up to Alicia. Oh, great. <laughs> Give her more time to think about it. This is a tough one. Um, well, this is pretty biased just because I'm very involved in like trying to make things happen with the Players Association. Um, and it's, you just hit dead ends, you know, like as a player getting frustrated with all these things that you'd think aren't being raised and then you become a player's rep and it's just like no matter what you do no one's really listening too much or if they are listening you really don't get much of a vote or say in big things I would love to be a part of more conversations as a player and have more more pull as like someone that hears comments from my teammates and I wish I could give them more of a response. So it almost sounds like what you're saying is in this high performance review, give us a seat at the table. I think that would be awesome. It would be a great start. Just player rep in general, like as a whole, like even if it was just one rep from every single, or for all of our teams, just one yep. to sit at the table, that would be, in, that would be a huge step in my opinion to have a, yeah. a little bit of a vote. Yeah, and before I go to Alicia here, I think it's important to note that this is an issue at the MLR level too. We had Nick Chavetta, who is is a is a representative at the U.S. Men's 15s level in the union. Um, you know, he talked about the same thing with respect to the MLR. So it's not just unique to USA Rugby and the and the players at the USA level. It's also happening in the professional model here in the United States as well. And 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 we know this based upon what's happened in the off season with regard to LA and Austin. But I'm going to move now to Alicia. You have the magic wand, my dear. You can wave it however you want, ask, you know, make one change. They have to follow it because darn it, Alicia Washington said so. What are you thinking? Uh, I would say fully contracted players and staff. Not just, I think the only person with a full-time contract is the head coaches. So, gotcha. so yeah, if you, if you need medical between camps, between tours, they're like volunteering their time to help you. Um and obviously they don't need to do that. You know, it's good that most of them will. Uh, yeah, the assistant coaches, if you want to do a film review, that's 
out of the kindness of their heart as well. Like no one besides the head coach is full-time employed. So player staff need full-time contracts to get to the level that we need to get to. And I think it's important. We haven't talked about it. It's been circulating in the back of my mind since I heard at least you talk about it, but you brought it back up and I think it's important to reflect upon. People need to understand the difference between sevens and fifteens to some degree in terms of funding is that, you know, the sevens programs are different and they're funded differently because they come through because it's an Olympic sport. You obviously, yeah. have, you know, both have a, a, a well-established knowledge and understanding that process. And so um, that's why they're able to, you know, reside at Chula Vista and they're able to, you know, have more funding and support because of the Olympic component, the Olympic connection. And that's one thing that the 15s mentioned, which is why Alicia is a co-founder of the XV Foundation. So I'm going to give, in closing, both of our guests, because they have been so gracious with their time, an opportunity to plug something important to them, something that means a lot to them, and something um, that, you know, whether it's a shout out or I'd like you each to have an opportunity to put that out there for people who are fans and followers um, to click, like, support, donate, whatever they need to do. Yeah. Alicia, your stage. Thank you. Um, yeah, XPFoundation.com. The XP Foundation is my baby that uh, my teammate and I, uh, Christine and I started three years ago. Once we were told that the women's program was about to turn into a pay to play situation um, to, to be on tour, which was absolutely acceptable. I mean, we were already paying for camps at the time. And that same year that we were paying for camps, we were staying uh, in hotels and sharing beds because there just wasn't enough funding to get, you know, one person to a bed even, which looking back on that is, was so insane. Um, so yeah, we started the foundation a few years ago, have been really blessed to have so many great donors and sponsors support the team. We were able to get uh, the team extra per diems, World Cup kit, um, to really advocate for the players, support them because so many of them have had to leave their jobs to pursue this dream. So um, yeah, so any support would be absolutely amazing. We are ramping up to support the, the team in the next cycle. So keep a lookout for what's next. Give, donate, even if it's 10 or $25, that's a, a little bit more that the, the, you know, the XV Foundation has uh, to do something with and, and to provide support for the women as they ramp up in, in a short turnaround, three years. So KJ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do the same. Uh, what do you, what do you have going? What's important to you? Well, I would love to just say like, yeah, thank you to XB foundation. They have done so much um, to help us out individually and as a whole unit. It's so cool. And uh, yeah, you guys do so much outside. So thank you, Alicia and Christine. Um the WPL, the Women's Premier League, is a long-lasting league in the United States. Um, this year, we just finalized with league agreements, and so we have seven teams coming through into the 23 year, and it's all over the U.S., spread out, and we're, our goal is to make it pro. Um, we have a, a longer, sustainable idea of how that's going to work, and so we're just trying to put it into play. And any kind of help we can get is hugely, I'm hugely grateful for. Um, it does, it sucks because we don't like going into the same pockets, you know, and we're definitely trying to get a system so that we don't have to. But as we are right now, it's definitely asking friends, family, fans, the same questions, the same 
the same ask for money. So anything is greatly appreciated. Absolutely. And I, and I got to be honest, I'm continue. I'm an educator by trade. And so for me, um, I always try to strive to understand, to better my education, to better myself. And one of the things that I had the pleasure and absolute, I got to tell you, ladies, um, at one point, I, I, I have to admit I was um, teary eyed. Uh, because I had the pleasure of going to my home pitch, Chicago plays rugby field, uh, pitch, Pete Thornley Fields, um, here in Chicago, who hosted the WPL tournament this last June. And um, I went into the Hall of Fame display that that did a tour over the summer and spent some time with some of the curators uh, and ladies that are responsible for organizing it. Uh, and it was absolutely touching. I was absolutely thrilled and moved at... Um, you know, all the work that has been done behind the scenes that perhaps uh, many of us don't know about, you know, because we live in our own little worlds. And for me, it was, you know, my side, my club rugby, my men's, you know, men's rugby. And and I've now been opened up to the world of the women's rugby. And it's one of the reasons why I loved watching every minute of the World Cup and watching our ladies uh, play. Um, so folks out there, please, if you have an opportunity, support women's rugby. Um, they have won a World Cup. And they will do so again. I have no doubt. We just got to find them the resources to make it happen and to provide them the support that uh, both Alicia and KJ have um, expected and demanded of us as a rugby and uh, USA sporting community. So with that, I'm going to thank the both of you for joining again on short order. But it's been educational for me, and I hope it has been for everybody else. And um, again, I really want to thank you both for joining, and I wish you both all the best as you move into what you do, firefighting and fighting, fighting the, the, in the women's prem uh, in the UK, beating up those, those roses and everybody else that joins and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and getting it done. Cause I've enjoyed the heck out of watching the prem too, watching captain Kate at work with the Sarah's uh, you know, with, uh, with Exeter, excuse me. And, and uh, all the ladies be professionals. It's been such a joy. So, Thank you, everybody, for watching. I encourage you to support Tighthead Brewing, support Rugby Now. They're going to be getting some kit out here for the MLR. We can't wait to see what the kit reveals are going to bring us. We've already seen Seattle. We've already seen Utah. It's been great. Subscribe, like, uh, go to Apple iTunes, go to Spotify, go everywhere else where you can get your podcast for the Rugby Rant. I'm Rob Hammerschmidt. I sincerely appreciate the wonderful women that have joined me for this evening. And I can't wait to reconvene with them sometime, perhaps over over a beverage or, uh, <laughs> you know, at a game and, and, and thank them in person for all that they've done, because they are truly legends of our game in our sporting community. I'm blessed to have spent some time with you. Thank you so much. And that's going to put a wrap on episode 117 of the Rugby Rant. We'll be back next week. And hopefully I'll be joined by my two co-hosts, Ty and Scott, who... Um, We'll come back and uh, we'll, we'll put another episode out. But until we do, can't wait to see you at the next. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The more my company grows, the more hats I need to wear. Aon brings their whole team to the table, giving me access to the great minds in each discipline. So as my business grows, my knowledge expands and I see things more clearly. Better decisions. Aon.